From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Reese Corso was one of hundreds of thousands of Australians who received unlawful and false debt notices under RoboDebt. The 28-year-old died by suicide in January of 2017 as debt collectors pursued him for $17,000. After his death, his mother Jenny began to unravel just how many debt notices Reese had received and she decided to go public, speaking to the Saturday paper about what had happened to her son. Now she's given evidence to the Royal Commission into RoboDebt and has learnt more about how senior government figures reacted to reports of his death. Today, Jenny Miller on her son Reese and her search for the truth. It's Tuesday, February 28th, and a warning, this episode contains discussion of suicide. So, Jenny, I know that you've spent the last few weeks at the RoboDebt Royal Commission, often attending those sessions in person. And I wanted to ask what that has been like, walking into the room and sitting down and listening to the evidence that's been given. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I have been either attending at the Commission or I'm zooming into the Commission. And I do watch and I want to be there, particularly when there's certain people on the witness stand because they need to know that I'm still hanging around, I'm still there, and I'm going to still cast my evil eye across that desk and look at you. And it can be quite confronting because as I've investigated things for the last six years, particularly the ministers and the high-end public servants, they can be sitting there and they're just going, can't recall. Like I say, I don't don't recall, but... So I don't recall whether or not a conversation. I don't recall how we were informed. No, I don't believe that's right. I didn't put my mind to that. Do you recall reading this email? Uh, I don't recall reading it at the time. I've obviously read it. And I just think now knowing what I do know, I can't believe that these people are actually in office. Uh, Do you recall um, taking that view? or holding that position? Um, I don't. They can't seem to recall anything, which I find quite amazing. Yeah, and Jenny, thousands and thousands of people were sent these unlawful debt notices, and one of those people was your son, Reese Corzo. How did you first start to discover that Reese was being pursued for these so-called debts? Well, I first went down in the first week of June in 2016... And Reese had rung me towards the end of May and he was really, really distressed. And I was on the phone to him for quite some time. He said to me that he had received a debt, didn't tell me how he received that debt, as in my gov or a letter. Um, he just said, I've got this debt. There's no way that I owe this money. They made the old phone call and I just don't know how to handle it. So... I said, right, calmed him down. I said, what we're going to do is get you back into a program with your doctors and your psychologist and then we'll go and sort out this Centrelink debt. So when I went down there, we did organise doctors and psychologist appointments 
I accompanied Reese into the Centrelink office at Windsor. They said, no, can't help you. And there was a 1800 number that he was uh, given to ring. And I just thought, no, this is crazy. Why can't they just look at, you know, your file? And um, they just would not do it. So we walked out of there and I said to Reese, don't worry about Centrelink, I'll sort that out and get you back on track. So at that point, I certainly didn't know how much harassment he was going to get. And I certainly didn't realise that they were ringing and uh, leaving voicemails and sending text messages. And yeah, it was um, very devastating when I saw what he was actually being subjected to. And so when did you start to realise then what was actually going on, just how many letters and phone calls he was receiving? Okay. So when uh, Reese did take his life, I flew down to Melbourne again the, the next day and I met up there with his partner Britt and Harry that was sharing the, the property. And my first reaction was to just try and find a note or, or something, you know, that just said, oh, why he had taken his life. And there was nothing left. There was, there was no notes, no nothing written in his journal. So what I did, though, was collate any information, any paperwork that I could find that I may have to deal with. So whether it was, you know, the rental or, or, or bills or, or whatever. So I collated all that. And whilst doing that, that's when I came across the Dun & Bradstreet letters of demand and the picture on the fridge next to it, which depicted a drawing of a head with a, a gun going through the mouth and dollar signs coming out through the brain and debt life written next to that. So that's what made me think there was a lot more to this story. And so as you were collating all of this and and seeing all of these debt recovery notices that, that Reese had been inundated with before he died, when was it that you realised that there might actually be a, a connection between these letters and, and the government scheme that we now know as RoboDebt. When I spoke to his friends and work colleagues and the lady that Reese was working for, when I said about the debt letters, they said, oh, that's, that must be RoboDebt. And of course, I, I hadn't heard about RoboDebt. So they explained to me that there's this big thing going on, that they're sending people debts and debt letters and they're you know, garnishing people's tax returns, etc. And I said, well, these were debts relating, the debt letters from Dun & Bradstreet were in relation to apparent debts from Centrelink. And that's when I started investigating a lot more into it. So when I did return home, I then started writing letters, trying to get information trying to find out what is this robo-debt 
and, you know, whether it was something that had pushed Reese, and uh, I was blocked at every turn. And so as you did that, as you wrote these letters, asked for information and began to tell Reese's story, what response did you get from the government? They denied that it was part of the RoboDebt or pay-as-you-go um, compliance system. What did you think of that? Well, I said to them, give me the proof. Show me. Show me how you've calculated these debts. And, of course, no, they... they like, didn't matter which way I went. Freedom of information... Um, I had my accountant try and help me to to work out, you know, where the debt may have come from. But no, I, look, honestly, I was stonewalled at absolutely every every turn. So of course, the more I was blocked, the more I knew I was on the right track, and the more I dug in to try and gain the truth. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener... You're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Just before lunch, I was asking you about the question of... Um information about suicides which had reached the minister's office and the general culture within the minister's office. Um, Can I take you to um, a specific example of that in the bundle? It relates to Mr Rhys Corzo. Do you recall that name? Yes, I do. Thank you. Jenny, after you discovered the debt that your son Rhys had been in, you began to investigate what had happened to him in the, the days and the months leading up to that. And As part of that, you went to the media, you spoke to the Saturday paper and there was a story that was published in 2017. Can you tell me what you now know about what happened after that story went out? Well, thanks to the Royal Commission, I I have now seen all the documents that were in Reese's file, or that are in Reese's file, from the reaction of the government to the Saturday paper story? You can see it here. Yes. Inquiry by the Saturday paper. Yep. If Exhibit 4406 could be brought up... They were just in a spin and in contact with ministers and in contact with high-end public servants saying we need to stick to the same story. Do we know if it was a robo-debt or do we know if there was a vulnerability indicator on his file? Did you notice any impact of the decision to release personal information in the, into the media um, upon the nature of media stories from that point? Yes. 
And what was the impact you observed? Well, there were less people speaking out in the media. So what they did was they released Reese's private personal information and they said, this is the correct information. It was not the robo-debt. We did it manually. This is the fact that he worked here, here, and earned this much money. Everyone right through from the media, right through to the ombudsman, to the coroners, everyone was given false information. So it was a very difficult time to try and get the truth. And your chief of staff strongly advised you, well, advised you. Yes. That it might be a bad look to um, provide some details about this person in the media in response. Yes. To me, it was definitely something that the ministers at the time did want to continue to to do because it looked good to their budget, it looked good to probably the um, commercial part of of, uh, the world or of Australia because, you know, we're hunting down fraudsters, they can't get away with ripping off the system. So it was all very self-righteous and... It was all about control and it was all about, you know, it's very hard to put into words, but basically they're all a bunch of narcissists as far as I'm concerned. And throughout this whole hearing to date, we've not had one minister or public servant admit any liability in any form because they are all just worried about their own you know, own levels within government and their power within government. And, um, yeah, so that's why they just kept going with it. They ignored anything that they were advised. And so, Jenny, after watching ministers, public servants have their say at the Royal Commission, you actually, you gave evidence yourself. Can you tell me about the moment that you you got to speak at the Commission and, and what it is that you wanted to say to get on the record? I turn then to the question of evidence today. Commissioner, the evidence today will commence with Ms Miller, whose son, Rhys Corzo, uh, committed suicide on 26 January 2017 after debts were generated using averaging in the PAYG manual compliance intervention process. During the- For me, the importance was to ensure that these ministers and public servants were aware that... They had done the wrong thing. They had made so many people suffer because of their own greed and their own balance of power and how vulnerable people don't need to be looked after. And, and yeah, it was was just, it was so wrong that they actually went ahead with this program. Did you come to learn that a debt collection agency done in Bradstreet had been... Um, assigned by the Department of Human Services to pursue Reese in respect of the debts alleged by the department? Yes, yes. Um, and do you recall how many of those letters were on the fridge? There was five letters and I thought it was like a business card that had been left there. I just wanted to ensure that the truth got out there on Reese's behalf and that, no, he wasn't a dull bludger and he wasn't a fraudster. He was just a beautiful, gentle man who, yes, he was a bit, he was creative, he was a little bit eccentric, but he also did suffer from mental health. 
which, you know, he probably has inherited from myself. So to get that point out there and to pretty much, how can I put this nicely, not jam it up them, but, um, but yeah, just to enforce the truth, I was so pleased I was able to do that. I find it extraordinary the lengths they have been to to try and get me to stop um, being so persistent. And um, I, I truly, truly hope that this now sends, set, sets up a precedent that um, you're working in public office, you are there to work for the people. So do your job and do it properly. And look, honestly, the other witnesses that have come forward, you know, their stories are, are heartbreaking. It, it's no one should have had to suffer and, you know, live in their cars or try and get a loan from the bank to pay back a false debt. It should never, ever had happened. And hopefully now we have set a precedent and, and things will change dramatically. Yeah, as you say, there were so many other people um, and, and young people as well, like Reese, who, who were pursued under robo-debt. Oh, God, yeah. And they had, they had no way of knowing at the time how unlawful it actually was. So when you think about the way that the government treated Reese and, and other people as well, like him, what is your view now on, on the actions that I suppose were taken by so many, an entire system of people that put this in place and then allowed it to continue on for so long? Look, I, I think one of the th biggest things I've learnt over this whole journey is please do your homework, you know, to anyone out there that maybe they're still receiving debts or they're being harassed, please do your homework and, and don't give in. Please don't take your life over, over a debt and a false debt at that. Mm, yeah. And... I mean, I'm sure that through this whole process there there would have been so many things that you learnt about Reese and, and his life in Melbourne and his friends. And um, can you tell me about how you how you think about him now and how you remember him? Oh, look, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's really hard. I mean, I think of him probably 24 hours a day. But, you know, I do have his artwork. I've got beautiful photos and... And probably, thankfully, for social media, you know, I, I'm able to keep in contact with all his friends and every time I do go to Melbourne, I, I do catch up with everyone. One of Reese's friends is getting married in November, so um, they've invited me down there for the wedding. You know, we, we all often talk about Reese and we share stories and his partner, Britt, we still talk very regularly. Um, we keep in contact. I go, I see her every time I can. And one of his really good friends, uh, she's recently had a little baby and um, she's called her Miller because my last name being Miller, of course, but as far as she was concerned, Reese was Reese Miller. And so, yeah, she's named her little baby girl Miller after, after Reese. So, yeah, there's so many people that he just affected their lives in such a positive way. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about him. Yeah, thank you. And um, I'm really sorry for your loss. I really am. Yeah, 
the world lost a beautiful man. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, Woodside, Australia's largest oil and gas company, have reported soaring profits of nearly 10 billion Australian dollars nearly triple their earnings in 2021. The 228% rise is mostly due to higher prices on gas caused by the war in Ukraine. The announcement comes as Woodside faces growing backlash over its promise of net zero carbon emissions by 2050, which critics say is incompatible with Woodside's proposed expansions. Just one of those projects, the Burrup Hub gas expansion in WA, could release more than 6 billion tonnes of CO2 once in operation. And an Australian archaeologist and his research team have walked free after being held captive in Papua New Guinea. Professor Bryce Barker had been doing fieldwork in the Highlands when he was taken hostage one week ago. The kidnappers had asked for a ransom of nearly 1.5 million Australian dollars as compensation for two men injured by security guards at a nearby logging site. The professor was the last of the group to be released after a much smaller ransom was paid. <laughs> 